Warning, incoming game. Warning, incoming game. Welcome to Incoming Game. This is the podcast where we watch and rewatch the 90s animated series Reboot. I'm Ben. And I'm Jessica. I've been a fan for a long time. And I'm watching this for the first time. Each week, we'll take an episode, dissect it, inject some trivia, and try to find our frostiest moments. This week, we're doing Season 2, Episode 5, Painted Windows. Uh, how you doing, Jess? Oh, not too shabby. I got a uh, family photos taken this week. Oh yeah. Yeah, we had a uh, we sat out in the park and did the whole family and, and all different groupings. <laughs> just the sisters, just the sisters and the mom, all that fun stuff. Mm. Uh, they were real nice. It was fun. It was like a cute idea. <laughs> nice. How about you? Uh, nothing really too interesting. Just been kind of doing the regular stuff. Nothing of note. The regular stuff. Yeah. We all know what that means. <laughs> But we won't say it on air. It's too inappropriate. <laughs> this is a family podcast, Jessica. <laughs> Today's season two, episode five, Painted Windows. It first aired back in November 2nd, 1995. It was written by Jono Howard and Susan Turner. The story was by Gavin Blair, Phil Mitchell, Ian Pearson, Mark Scheiman, and Susan Turner. We had a whole cast there of story buys. And we open up with the camera floating wildly from lost angles to the core. This is very much like last week's intro. Yeah, I really thought that was a fun kind of contrast. So last week's opened when you're going from megabytes tour to the core. And it's very the solid, forceful camera movement. And this week we're in Hex's world. So we're going from lost angles to the core and it kind of, it floats like it's like on a breeze kind of, maybe it's going to go to the core, maybe it's not. It was, it was a fun little contrast between the two. Yeah, this time we dive down under the core and we see these uh, off-duty officers just chatting away talking about the web one of them asks what that even is <laughs> uh, what's the web would you get him <laughs> what's the web <laughs> yeah it's trying to sprinkle in some lore here but we don't actually get to hear what it is because as soon as they start laughing at his uh ignorance hex appears cutting them all short hey hex where you been oh you know doing her thing <laughs> so she like reels back like she's gonna do something menacing but we cut over to dot who's running a 5k with some binomes we get a really bad pun here oh my god this was probably the only groaner in the episode <laughs> but like the eights are i ate exercise <laughs> <laughs> It feels like such a dad joke that it, it almost comes back around to being funny. Almost. <laughs> and behind him, we see Frisket, and then the camera starts following Enzo as he zooms around on his zip board. He uh, notices something is going on in the distance, but we don't get to see what it is. Elsewhere, Bob and the biker chick from last week are back, and it seems that Bob's classic car has gotten an upgrade to a bike. Yeah, it's a V3, which should give Bob a lot less trouble than his 262, which is a classic. Whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> but just then, a bright light shines on them, and we see that someone is awkwardly painting a sun in the sky. Yeah, this kind of disembodied paintbrush head. Yeah, it's just the equivalent of like moving the cursor around and drawing in Microsoft Paint, because like the sun's just appearing in the air, being drawn, like kind of scribbled. Yeah, it's a very basic, basic sun. 
But everyone's impressed by it. Like the entire like town is like, ooh, look at that. Which brings up a question. Do mainframers know what a sun is? <laughs> They've never seen this before. Obviously Hex does. Well, I mean, just imagine like if you saw like a bright light being drawn, you know, by forces unknown into the sky and it was glowing, you know, you'd be pretty impressed probably. Oh no, I'd definitely be impressed. <laughs> it just got me curious as to how much the mainframers or people inside the computer know about the outside world. I mean, yeah. there's no sun inside a computer. Execute sunrise program. Exactly. So uh, Bob is suspicious, and he calls Fong, who reveals that, sure enough, Hexadecimal has broken into the archives, accessed the system paint program, and destroyed the security system. Now, this is something that would have taken Megabyte an entire episode to try and accomplish and fail, and she managed to do it off-screen. She did. In fact, this is exactly what Megabyte tried to accomplish and failed with in that other episode. I think she just wakes up earlier. The early virus gets the code. Yeah. So we cut over to a CPU who's letting Dot know that the archive guards have been kidnapped by Hex, which we get to see the archive guards themselves sitting in paintings. This was kind of a fun little like edit that they did. So we have Fong explaining, and it cuts mid-sentence to the CPU explaining to Dot as the CPU finishes Fong's thought. And then the CPU is talking and we cut midway through that thought into the poor guards sitting inside the paintings. And I think it was a nice little like rhythm there to that. This is something that like Archer does a lot where like one character will start a thought in one sentence in a completely separate location than where the uh, thought gets ended by another character. Yes, that's right. I totally, that's such an Archer thing that didn't ever occur to me. It's done really well in this episode though. Yeah, they did a great job. Uh, the one that we get to see is screaming inside of the scream as Hex begins to monologue evilly. She's an unappreciated artist. And what she had to do to get recognition in this world? So she starts painting the town red. Or pink, to be exact. We start to see the effects of her paint in mainframe because the paint seems to be like a real thing. It's heavy and it's collapsing buildings and chasing residents down the streets. Yeah, there's like blobs and ribbons of color that like start manifesting downtown. The buildings are changing into different colors and patterns. It's literally like someone scribbling around and using the fill buttons on a paint program. We get a uh, fun little thing where one of the guard binoms who's stuck in a Lichtenstein painting tries to curse her out, but it's all in like ampersand and... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just like uh, the box that Bob fell into. Exactly. Uh, and she freezes them all in the painting, so no more of that. Yes, yeah, so makes them part of her permanent collection. And then she sets her sight on a new canvas. <laughs> yeah, she turns Megabyte's lair gold and then tags it with her name and, and plants the giant sunflowers in the top, which like collapse inside the building. Megabyte is, again, shaking his fist at the sky. Yep, his usual pose. <laughs> So she cheers him up by painting a smile on him and dressing him as a jester. And then cutting and pasting him into the sky for all to see. Yeah, it's like she's like painting a fresco over all of Mainframe, and instead of the birth of Adam, it's Clown Megabyte. Poor Megabyte. If he wasn't depressed before, I'm fairly certain this one would, would put him <laughs> over the edge. <laughs> so meanwhile, this whole time, Bob and the biker chick have just been chilling out and chatting with Fong. Like, Enzo arrives, and Bob shushes him, like, quiet, I'm on a call. <laughs> <laughs> We learn that Fong can sever the link between the program and Hex's alias that she's running out of her lair, but not before Bob hits Control Z a billion times to undo everything that she's done. <laughs> this is some high stakes shenanigans here. <laughs> and he's about to inform him of the most important bit that he needs to remember. 
when his head is erased. Yeah, this, <laughs> this kind of freaked me out. Fong's head just gets erased, and then they replace it with an apple because he's the keeper of the core. <laughs> Hex making that fruit pun. And then she drags him to join Megabyte in the sky fresco. <laughs> Fong's out of the picture! Sort of. Hex's sense of uh, artistic themes are pretty apparent at this point. She's taking cues from uh, Magritte in this one. <laughs> so Bob and Enzo, they look on in dismay, and Bob reaches for Glitch, but it melts right off his arm. He tries to vid-window Dot and talk to her, but slashes of black paint cover the screen, uh, preventing any kind of talking. And both uh, Enzo's hoverboard and Bob's new bike dissolve into liquid. Which really has Bob upset. He just got that bike! <laughs> So that makes Bob and Enzo do a walk and talk, discussing what Hex might be up to. Like, what's her end game? It's almost like she's working at some sort of plan. With some Salvador Dali going on in the background. Yeah, the surroundings have transformed into a full-on Dali painting. There's melting clocks, flying fish, these weird tree hooks, and your distorted skull. The whole bit. So here's a fun joke I learned in art school. How many surrealists does it take to screw in a light bulb? I don't know. How many? Fish. Ah. <laughs> Okay, so Bob tells Enzo that he needs to find Dot and tell her to break the link to Hex's lair, but not until he gives a signal, which he hasn't come up with yet. They'll know it when they see it. (laughs) It, It'll be fine. And Bob just figures that all he has to do is uh, show up and be eye candy to stop Hexadecimal. (laughs) Which is pretty great, because he he knows what Hex is into. He'll he'll just arrive shirtless holding a pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Hex will be fine with it. (laughs) <laughs> She's checked him out before, she'll check him out again. So meanwhile, Mike the TV is filming a documentary. The plasticity of the work denotes the abstract figurative tension. He's uh, extolling praise to Hex's artistic genius, which honestly, her work seems a little derivative to me. <laughs> I don't know what tipped you off. <laughs> we get to see uh, the Bodway sector buried under paint. The principal office has the painting of God and Adam from the Sistine Chapel. I've got a whole list for later. <laughs> But uh, Bob stops his impromptu local art show, (laughs) tells everyone but Mike to scram, and steals the camera. And they head off. But to where? Well, Enzo and Frisket start making their way to Dot, and uh, they're going through all kinds of crazy tunnels with weird color splashes and randomness everywhere. And just then, Dot comes sliding down one of those color ribbons. Like, did she put herself on that? Or did she just fall and trip or something? (laughs) Well, so when Enzo is walking around, he like walks into an eyeball, which ends up pulling him out in the middle of a skyscraper. So yeah, I can totally see her just accidentally tripping on this thing. (laughs) The road just suddenly turns into a slide and there you go. And then there's this weird forced perspective shot where Frisket had appeared to be behind Enzo, but is actually right next to him, but very small. Yeah, this is actually one of the two forced perspective things that they'll do in this episode, which is kind of fun. I like the idea of playing with that. So Enzo grabs him and follows Dot down the slide and When she reaches the bottom, she says, Oh no, they've completely destroyed the security system. Which, she was already told that in minute one of the show. To be fair, it does look very bad. Uh, Enzo lands right after him. We get to see Frisket sitting on the top of his cap. And he misquotes the quote. He says really bad, not very bad. Oh no. Come on, Enzo. Step it up. Just to rub salt in the wound, too, she's like, not even Megabyte could have done this. Like, come on, Megabyte, you you lame duck. (laughs) Oh, man, I hope Megabyte heard that. (laughs) So Bob and Mike are making their way to Hex, and they pass by a whole bunch of gnolls that are wearing these distorted Bob masks. The gnolls in the Bob masks are amazing. They're so good. And then we also get to see that 
Bob is being almost like one of those old animations where you had it all in a circle and you'd spin it around. It's a little a little cardboard cutout of Bob with each of his movements. Oh, yes. Which he knocks over like dominoes. But you really got that sense of Hex actually being super into Bob. Yeah. She wants multiple Bobs. She wants Bob everywhere. She has the whole blue period going on. It's her blue period. <laughs> you get it? <laughs> Yeah, and once they fall, that kind of inspires Bob a little bit. He says, like, his plan's complete at this point. But yeah, so meanwhile, Enzo and Dot are in this crazy void space with a bunch of vid windows stacked up like DNA, and there's a giant angry hex mask. And Enzo thinks, they're just like stairs. I'll start walking up them. So he starts jumping, immediately falls off. You dope. (laughs) Into, like, 20 different vid windows, and ends up becoming the vid windows. This is weird. Yeah, like each one of them takes on the part of his body that hit it, forming a whole Enzo over multiple screens. Hey, look, my, 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 my Max head, head, headroom. <laughs> but a uh, quick continuity issue here. He was clearly like falling past the vid windows and not disappearing into them. So how was he trapped in them at the end? I definitely noticed that too. I was like, wait, but what happened to his body? He wasn't in any of the other ones. He didn't like lose a hand on the way down. He does figure out that he can control the vid windows and kind of stretch them along and move them where he wants. So Dot's got a escalator of a brother taking her places. <laughs> well, meanwhile, Bob and Mike arrive at Hex's lair, which is being guarded by Scuzzy. And while they have a good laugh about it until they realize it's that other forced perspective shot, Scuzzy's actually gigantic. So they say they got to split up. So Scuzzy splits up. <laughs> now there's two Scuzzies. And you know what the inside of Scuzzy's mouth when it roars looks like uh, Audrey 2. Oh, yeah. It totally does. (laughs) And just as they get cornered, Hex appears and shoos them away. She's like, hey, 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 don't you know Bob's off limits? Now, 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 Scuzzy. You know the Guardian is mine. And Scuzzy seems to shrink down and and go through one of the cracks in the wall. I just realized here that Bob is wearing a crop top. He's, like, showing off his abs. He's wearing a... I totally did not notice that. Is he really? Yeah, like, his shirt basically just goes down to his nipples and then his abs are, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when did he change outfits i don't know it might have always been like that i don't realize <laughs> but they convince hex that they're actually doing an interview with her everyone loves all the new art and they got just gotta hear from the artist herself finally some recognition so she clicks and drags them into the lair as enzo is <laughs> scouting for the link button he can't find it with his giant eye but then dot's like hey do you think maybe it's that lone window off to the side by itself over there man good spotting dot <laughs> so enzo worries about bob but dot is certain he wouldn't act without a plan yeah when has he ever given you that impression well that's not much of a plan is it pilgrim yeah, seriously. <laughs> I think Dodge just got some wishful thinking here since the only plan he had ended up being to take the cutout that he didn't know was going to be there. Yeah. Bob is the king of winging it. Mm. Speaking of, they're setting up the interview. We've got a nice little selection of art pieces sitting behind a lovely hex that just seems to be loving this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Bob's on camera. Mike's doing the interview. Mike starts talking about the things that really inspire her, and the framing of it has Bob's butt just, like, (laughs) right there. (laughs) I didn't even notice that. And I'm just like, "Uh uh-huh, things that inspire Hex. (laughs) She realizes 
the, the ruse pretty quickly when the cardboard cutout falls. She's furious and starts tearing the place apart while Bob, behind the scenes, does a select all and undo command. And since this is the 90s, it takes a while to undo everything. So Hex is headed his way. He starts to use the cut and paste command on Hex's mask. This does not go well. This is probably the most disturbing scene in the series so far. It's pretty disturbing. (laughs) Yeah, Hex's mask disappears and a bright light erupts from her blank head as she screams in pain. Things are flying around the room. Enzo's trail of vid windows is disappearing behind Dot, and like, oh, she, Hex is just writhing and screaming as the light pours out of her. You can see Bob's face in this moment. He's just like, oh, crap, that was not what I thought would happen. <laughs> so the masks, like, tell Bob on the screen, so I guess they're a separate sentient entity. You can tell just from the way the voice actress changes her tone here that you are kind of talking to a separate entity. Like, these masks are sane. Like, it's not the hex moving from one mood to the other wildly. This is this is a sane entity or entities that's talking to Bob right now. And Bob can kind of tell too, like he's understanding that stuff is going on beyond his knowledge and he's just going to listen to the masks. So they say that you have removed the only thing that keeps her power in check. Without the masks, hexadecimal will overload and be destroyed. Damn you fool! And did she just swear there? It sounds like she said, damn you fool. She did say, damn you fool. They managed to get a damn in there. Oh my goodness. So Dot tries to rush up to the link window and doesn't quite make it. As she falls, Frisket Ex Machina jumps up and brings her back to the window so she can press the button in time. I'm not sure how this worked at all. And I'm not sure how Dot's alive. (laughs) Or holding on to the vid window. Like, Frisket's jaws. I mean, he did hold back the car in Bad Bob last week, too. Yeah, but like he would have to be delicate with her and not destroy her innards. Yeah, he knows (laughs) the uh, amount of pressure to use. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. The, yeah, the whole moment felt like real weird, but she got it. She managed to destroy the link. And Bob tries to reverse the program to stop Hex from overloading, but it's too late now that the link is gone. So he summons Glitch Ex Machina to snatch a mask off the screen and move it to Hex's face. Yeah, he pulls a Thor here, calling Mjolnir to <laughs> fly through the air into his hands. All of this is very exciting, but none of it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it works. He gets his Hex's mask back on. And she collapses in this, like, horrible puddle. Yeah, she's, like, curls up in the fetal position. She's, like, obviously damaged and shaken. And uh, even Scuzzy tries to, like, console her and just doesn't work. This whole moment was, like, really terrifying. I felt like something awful had happened and I walked in on this, like, private moment that I should have not have been there for. Yeah, she looks violated. Yeah, that's the perfect word for it. And then Bob just fucking leaves. <laughs> he leaves Mike the TV there. He puts Mike in charge of Hex's therapy, which is apparently just showing her random bits of TV shows and commercials until she's back to herself. And, all right, I know Mike's not the smartest guy around, but the movie you definitely want to show Hex is Psycho, right? <laughs> which she does. She gets a little flash of psychosis right before it cut to credits. Oh, jeez, Mike. Now, why why does Bob want Hexadecimal back to herself anyway? This is like when he saved Megabyte a few episodes ago. What gives? There is a constant relationship between Hex and Bob, where I don't know if Bob sees something in her or if it's just his general code, but uh, this happened before, too, in the episode with Medusa Bug, where he talks Hex down. He convinces her that there's a better way. 
Granted, it's mostly lying when he does it, but this isn't the first time he's shown empathy towards Hex, and it won't be the last time. Yeah, he can't, like, destroy the villains. You just have to live with them. Put them back in uh, Arkham Asylum for a little while. <laughs> and it's probably going to come back to bite him in the ass. Reboot! So what'd you think about this episode, Jess? I really liked it. It started out super fun. You get to see like all the fun art references and Hex going wild with everything that she's doing. And then ends on this note that I felt like really as dark as it was. And I don't want to say out of place, but definitely a a very strong change in tone. I felt like it worked. I felt like that strong change in tone worked for the episode. And we like suddenly are watching this serious show it's going to have serious consequences. Oh, yeah. I, it really worked for me. I really liked it. Yeah, this was a really fun one. Like, it kind of really straddled the line between being still obviously a kid's show, but putting in a lot of stuff for adults and parents. And, like, I was engaged the whole time. And, like, those last few minutes, my heart was racing. Like, that bit with uh, her face fault with the light coming out of it was disturbing as hell. Yeah, it was. And I think that we're, you know, between Bad Bob now and this one, we're really starting to see the show take off. This is where things are getting serious. This is where we're seeing stuff being laid down in the story that is going to come back over and over again. So we're seeing character development and we're seeing a change in tone. And I'm down for all of it. Yeah, no, I was fully on board. Pixelacious! So do we have any bits and bites this week? Oh, do we have any bits and bites? A lot of references in this one. We'll start with the non-art versions of it. We get to see this fun motorcycle that uh, Bob now owns. Um, There's a couple of things on it that could be references. So it says Harris Super on it. So there's a Harris Performance Products Limited that manufactures motorcycles. And then it also says Wellman Motorcycle on it. Now, I'm not sure, but there is a song by Paul Wellman called Motorcycle Queen. So could be a reference to that. We get, to me, a pretty direct reference to the blob. Uh, We have the paint coming down the building, which is causing everyone to scream and run out of it, followed (laughs) by being chased down the street by a blob of paint. And then we get all of the uh, Mike impressions. So Mike does a Freud impression. He does a John Wayne impression. We get to see Love Hospital again, as well as the psycho reference there at the end. But now on to all the art. (laughs) There's no way I'm going to be able to cover all of it. There's a lot of classical references. Yeah, there's a huge amount. I tried to cover the ones that I recognize, so I wasn't just like reading off a list. So we get the binoms who are trapped in paintings. One of them is in Edward Munch's The Scream. Uh, One is in a general Roy Lichtenstein painting. So like five of his paintings have blonde women crying. So I couldn't tell you which one it is. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the last one was in Da Vinci's Mona Lisa. Um, We get to see Fong turned into a apple head, which is probably a reference to The Son of Man by Rene Magritte. The tour gets turned into Van Gogh's Sunflowers. And Dot is at one point running down a street with Monet painting on there. Um, so my first thought was water lilies. Um, I'm being told by the uh, wiki that it's actually uh, sea roses, not not the water lilies. So it's hard to tell. She was kind of, it was very large and she was very, she was just running down it. We get to see Bob and Enzo walking down the street, which has turned into The Persistence of Memory by Salvador Dali. When Mike is doing his little impromptu TV show, a bunch of the buildings are done in the style of Piet Mondrian's composition in red, blue, and yellow, or composition 10. He's got a bunch like that that have the bold black lines with squares of uh, red, yellow, and blue. We also get to see some Keith Haring. He's does the one with the uh, the shapes of people that seem very excited about things. Yes. In bold primary colors. <laughs> 
And behind Mike, we get to see Rodan's the thinker who kind of does this fun thing where he looks up when Mike's not looking at him and then comes back down <laughs> to put his hand back on his chin. We also get to see a wall that's obviously supposed to be Andy Warhol's Marilyn Monroe, but with Dot instead. <laughs> we get Michelangelo's creation of Adam on top of the principal office and the uh, Bob Face Knowles are hanging out over at the L'Arc de Triomphe de l'Etoile, which is the little you can visit over in France. And uh, yeah, that's probably the tip of the iceberg. I'm sure I'm missing at least 10 more because there is just art everywhere constantly. Uh, they do make a reference to a blue period, which is a Picasso reference. And I, I think I might've seen a Picasso-esque Bob painting at that moment. Yeah. But yeah, a lot, of, a lot of fun art in jokes, which considering a lot of the people who work in the show probably went to art school, it's probably easy to pull off. So we don't have a game this week. We don't have a game this week. So what are we going to talk about? So we won't talk too much about this because I'm sure not everyone's interested. But I thought it'd be fun to talk about the history of Photoshop. All right, I'm going to zone out for a few minutes. So I use Photoshop all the time. Um, I started using Photoshop back in college. So 2003, 2004. Um, I couldn't tell you what version it was, but it was a while ago. (laughs) And I've been using it ever since. Uh, it's super fun. I'm able to do all of my drawing and coloring in there for all my comics, which is which is nice. So Photoshop was created back in 1988 by Thomas and John Knoll and has since become like the editing software. So originally, obviously with the name, it was for photos. It was to manipulate photos. The idea being that you would bring your photos into the computer and be able to change uh, the lighting and the color, saturation, all that fun stuff. Um, and just make them a little bit better than they were. Obviously, we don't use film anymore. So having Photoshop around became the thing to use. Uh, if you had a digital camera, if you're a photographer, you're going in and you're using Photoshop. Uh, and we started to get all these tools that we see in the episode. Uh, so we see the paint bucket tool, which will allow you to put a broad color over a large area. Uh, we get to see the magic wand and lasso tools, which allows you to select areas uh, so that you can cut them and paste them or erase them, as the case may be with Fong. <laughs> uh, the paintbrushes have gotten a lot better than the ones you see there. Nowadays, you can have paintbrushes that imitate pencils and oil paints and watercolors. I have paintbrushes in my selection that use halftones, which you'll see in like the black and white comics. So you get that fun little halftone look. Yeah, I love that. Even paintbrushes mm-hmm. that will hatch for you. So hatching and cross-hatching is when you have a pen or pencil and you just do a bunch of lines in order to shade rather than one solid gradient or something. And since Photoshop, there's been a ton of different image editing programs. Photoshop and Adobe have kind of still managed to stay on top, uh, but there's free ones that you can find online, uh, such as Pixlr, which I'll use from time to time at work. And it works pretty much just like Photoshop, but it's free and it's online. I use the GIMP myself. Yep, you can use GIMP. And then it moved beyond just photos too. So I draw in Photoshop, but there's other programs that will allow you to use the same tools that Photoshop uses, but are more geared towards drawing. So like Clip Studio or Paint, things like that. Yeah, don't sleep on MS Paint. That was uh, even earlier. That came out in 85 with uh, the very first edition of Windows. Oh, yeah. MS Paint, even today, people still like will go in and like try and make stuff in MS Paint. <laughs> and there's some good stuff that comes out. I've seen people pre- replicate like the Mona Lisa or Van Gogh in there. It's pretty great. Yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> this has been our history lesson. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> There's your game for today. Go go if you don't have Photoshop, go go to Pixlr. Play around with it. It's it's super fun. You can load up Mario Paint on the Super NES. Yes, go do that. <laughs> this is wrong. This is all wrong. So in all of this episode, Jessica, did you find yourself a frosty moment? This episode was really fun, uh, especially having an art degree, being able to like point out, oh, that, oh, that, oh, that. <laughs> but my frostiest moment has to be the nulls with the Bob masks on. <laughs> I was dying. I was dying. It was so hilarious. <laughs> well, you have stolen mine as well. That was, oh, no. That was also my frosty moment. It was the most disturbing part. Not the most disturbing part, but um, yeah, they were really creepy. They were all distorted, and I hated it, and I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> hated it and loved it. That sounds like a perfect description for it. Other great moments included the whole ending, being creeped out by Hex uh, with the light streaming out of her mask, or even just her sitting catatonic in this chair at the end. Ugh, gives me shivers. But yeah, those nulls, those nulls were great. They have to win. Yeah, they were the best part. Double win. <laughs> so do we have any feedback this week? Uh, we do. Uh, so at Unique Exemplar, Josh on Twitter, says that this episode is his earliest memory of reboot. Uh, so he's guessing he jumped in late. Um, he thinks he was about 10 at the time and basically loves anything with Hex. The chaos, the madness. This is the Hex he knows and loves. Uh, which I have to agree. This is a great Hex episode you get to see so much of her 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 different personalities her different uh moods and then this tragic side of her as well and we also had daniel barrett reach out to us in facebook that says that this is his favorite hexadecimal centric episode and that she was the real show stealer for this one which i don't know the nulls were pretty good yeah i think the nulls stole the show <laughs> for me too so. god that was like the worst thing <laughs> And yeah, I don't think we have any new patrons uh, to list off today. But if you're interested in becoming one, I just sent some uh, stickers off in the mail. A holographic sticker of our logo. Uh, so you too can get a sticker. Ooh. I think it's time to make this voyage unprofitable. So is there anything you want to recommend this week? I do. I actually just literally saw this today um, in... One of my many comic creator groups, um, someone mentioned that they were kickstarting the third issue of their comic. So I checked out the first two issues online. It's called The Pale, as in P-A-L-E. And it's about this FBI agent who is face blind. And he's in a small town trying to solve a murder. Uh, there's definitely something fishy going on. He knows more about the murder than he lets on. It's really good. It has that nice pacing that I like, which is, you know, let's let's take breaths and enjoy the moment before we drop a lot of information on you kind of thing. And the art is top notch. Um, you can check it out. It's on Tapas if you wanted to read it online. Uh, you can also get it on Comixology. And they're having, like I mentioned, a Kickstarter for the third issue. Um, and it's put up by Jay Fabares. Hopefully I said that right. But it's really fun. Just check it out. All right. Yeah, I'll recommend looking up uh, Daniel Klaus. It's uh, C-L-O-W-E-S. He's one of my favorite comic artists, uh, graphic novelist, whatever you want to call it. He uh, put out, He did Ghost World back in the day. He's done lots of other things. Um, he put out a comic called 8-Ball for a while, which has been collected into various collections. And more recently, he's done one-shot graphic novels like The Death Ray and Wilson, uh, a lot of his stuff's been adapted to film, but I find his comics to be really fun and interesting and weird and uh, funny. And that's uh, 
That's my recommendation. Nice. So go read some comics, people. What are we looking at next week, Jessica? I'm very excited for next week. Boy. All right, next week we're doing season two, episode five, Andrea. Uh, we're finally meeting Andrea. Why do I keep seeing it written as Andrala? Uh, it's not an L, it's a capital I. <laughs> they oh. really wanted to put the AI in capitals in the oh. middle of her name. <laughs> okay. So... <laughs> so if you're using a serif font, it's a lot easier to read. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we're meeting Andrea. Uh, Andrea is going to become uh, one of the main characters of the whole show and one of my favorites. So it's fun that she finally gets to show up. She's going to become a regular pretty quickly. So it won't be like Mouse where she showed up and we haven't seen her in an age now. Yeah, what's happened to Mouse? You like really built her up as a real big thing. Yeah, she'll be popping in again soon. But Andrea comes in and then sticks around. Um, I'm interested to see what you'll think about her character or, or rather where her character comes from. So I think that'll be just about going to do it for us. Uh, you can always catch us online on Twitter at Incoming Game Pod and on Facebook at Incoming Game Cast, or just go to our website, IncomingGameCast.com. You can find me on at Dudworks on the various social media. And what about you? And you can find me at Sturbino Lady. It's S-T-I-R-V-I-N-O Lady. And that's on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter, all that stuff. Our theme music is Spasmatica Polka by Kevin McLeod. And until next week, stay frosty, folks. Game over. A user wins. <laughs> oh, excuse me. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Sorry. So Dot. <laughs> so Dot tries to rush out. <laughs>